podcasting from the world's most livable city, Melbourne. This is the Your Career Down Under Show, a podcast dedicated to help newly arrived skilled migrants and settled migrants with their career and employment issues. We interview recruiters, career coaches, HR experts and employers who share tips, techniques and insights to help you land a job quickly and rapidly advance your career. Hello everyone, happy Monday to everyone uh, and uh, you know, good morning, good afternoon or good evening wherever you are listening, uh, your career down under and the career care package from my name is Naishad Gadani and I'm here with uh, you know, my co-creator uh, Caroline Brown and also you know, two exceptional uh, career practitioners Zoe and Rebecca which we will shortly introduce you to you guys but before we start I should lay out the context of why me and Caroline pop up on your LinkedIn screen every weekday 3 p.m. is to deliver a care package to your screen or to your career our idea is to provide hope and optimism in the time of such unprecedented times that we find ourselves in and what we know is that we don't know the answers and that's why we bring experts from you know people who have who can see the problem from different point of views and uh, provide hope and provide different perspective to you so that you are better equipped to deal with these challenges and we have aptly named this as delivering career care package because you know, care packages are delivered at the time of unprecedented crisis. So that's why we, uh, me and, uh, you know, Caroline pop up on your LinkedIn screen and we continue to do it. This is our 30th episode together and we have a tremendous response from you, our listeners and people who watch this. We have over 35,000 views of all our LinkedIn uh, you know, live, which is tremendous. And we really welcome your suggestions and ideas on what else we should talk about. Um, so today we have open floor. Um, you can ask us any question except our bank account details. Uh, but before <laughs> I you know, start anything, welcome. Welcome, Caroline. Welcome from Melbourne. Thanks, Naishad. Yeah, look, Naishad, you, people can have mine at the moment. So... Um, in terms of bank account details, but uh, anyway, I'm really pleased to be here today and really it's been a fun ride with Nishad doing these career care packages and speaking to a range of wonderful people who've shared their insights. And today we've got Rebecca Herbertson and Zoe Wunderberg and both are very experienced career practitioners um, who've worked with people across the board and we're going to do one of our most popular segments, which is Ask Us Anything. So if you've got any burning question about your job search, it's time to put these ladies under the spotlight. Just kidding. <laughs> and um, we'll, we'll do our best to answer them. Um, so I guess the first great place to start would be with uh, you, Rebecca, and then you, Zoe, just to give people a background about um, what you do so they can see um, the perspective that you're coming from. 
Sure. Thank you, Carolyn. And thank you so much for having us on today. It's a real pleasure to be a part of your LinkedIn Live. So uh, my name is Rebecca Herbertson. I run a private training organisation here in Australia called the BetterLink Group. And we deliver training in career development and employment services. And we've been around for 13 years. But prior to that, I worked in employment services and in career development programs. So I've been working in the field for about 20 years. Uh, and there's pretty much not a situation. So I've worked with young people transitioning from university into their first full-time career role, mature age people who are returning to work after a break, uh, mothers returning to work, mid-level managers who are looking for a sideways change. So pretty much careers across the lifespan um, seen it all. And I hope that I've got something useful to, to share with everyone today. I'm sure it will be very useful. And Zoe? Yes, um, I'm, yep. Zoe, I'm Zoe Wandenberg. Um, I have been in this space for 12 years as a private practitioner. Um, that has involved working in the mines as well as working with people across a huge array of career areas from high school kids wanting to get their first job at Target to um, professional athletes and, and, well, not celebrities, the entertainment industry people, um, as well as your run-of-the-mill um, labourers and education assistants and teachers and accountants, IT, etc. The beautiful thing about this job is that you meet so many different people from so many different areas. And I honestly feel like going to work every day is, is a new beginning because you learn about new careers every single day. Mm. Um, and it's, it's, it's very, it's, that's my favorite part of the job actually, is meeting people mm. who have done different things. Um, so I've got quite a bit of experience across the, an array of industry areas and different levels from entry up to sort of CEO, C-suite work. Um, and prior to that, I was in recruitment um, and then personnel and payroll for the Department of um, Education and training over in WA. So I've got pi private and public sector background experience as well. Fantastic. Um, Nash, did you want to kick this off? Or? Yeah, so, you know, look, you know, uh, for listeners, as I, as you can see on, you know, the banner flashing on the LinkedIn screen, that if you've got questions for Zoe and Rebecca about, about anything pertaining to job search, whether that is networking, whether that is working with employers, working with recruiters or resumes or LinkedIn interviews, please, uh, you know, ask us in the LinkedIn live feed so that we can take up those questions with Zoe and Rebecca. So if I can kick off the you know the discussion uh, you know Rebecca and then to Zoe around what are your current observations around what job she job seekers should be doing uh, you know whether they have been you know retrenched from work or whether they are looking at changing career what are some of the some of the fundamental activities that they can do to feel uh, being part of something or you know feel motivated about looking for work. That's a really great question, Nashan. I'm glad that you asked it because it, it really does depend in, in some, to some degree on, on where the individual's personal circumstance lies. So obviously if they're in a, a situation where they need to find new work very quickly for financial reasons, then their options are going to be a little bit different and what they should be doing is going to be a little different to people who have um, the opportunity to maybe take a step back and, and do some real reflection on where it is they want to go next. One of the 
benefits of this situation, and there are benefits, is that having a little bit of space, a little bit of career space can actually give people an opportunity to really think about what is it they want to spend their time doing. So now's a really good time to explore some options, think about their next step career action plan. And, and often when we look back on difficult situations like being made redundant or, or losing work through lack of contracts or, or whatever, often we look back on that and go, gee, I'm glad that happened because it led to me to identify something different or to retrain or to, you know, really reevaluate where I'm at. So if people are blessed enough to have a little bit of time on their hands, then I would really recommend doing some career work in terms of exploring their transferable skills and their options. And also to know that there are lots of opportunities that are going to come up because of this situation. So whilst there's a lot of uncertainty and I, I recognise that people are in very difficult situations, um, I really hope that they know that there are some really good positives coming. So in terms of concrete things to do, uh, things like tapping into your LinkedIn every day, I think is a real positive, being connected and certainly making the most of their networks and, and letting people know that they're out there and that they are exploring options. Because we know that networking and networking isn't just a buzzword, even though people treat it like a little bit like a buzzword, um, genuine connecting, genuine networking, where you're having conversations with people. So, you know, if you just, I, I often say, if you just like something on LinkedIn, it's the equivalent of waving across a crowded coffee shop <laughs> or giving someone a handshake but not speaking. So it's about actually making genuine connection with people at this time so that they can be looking out for us and at the opportunities. I better let Zoe get a word in edgewise now. <laughs> I think you've answered it quite well. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> I'll just have a cup of coffee and I'll just sit over here. No, I'm fine. I'm joking. Um, I think that the first step that so many people experience when they're in a situation where either their role has been made redundant or their hours have been cut back or shaved back to, to perhaps zero or only a handful is panic. Most people go into a bit of a, a tailspin and think, oh my God, what am I going to do? I have to solve this problem right now. And then they're jumping on the internet and they're panicking because there aren't as many jobs available as there were. Um, what am I going to do? Look at JobSeeker, go into Centrelink, have a, have a meltdown over Centrelink because we all do that um, and, and genuinely feel quite out of control, I think, and feel like they're, they're not in a position to be able to make decisions for themselves and to affect their, their future or at least their immediate future. Um, so in this situation, it can be really hard and it's much easier said than done, but the first thing that, that we need to do is take a breath and, and really assess mm. where we're at, identify what our needs really are. If we break everything down, can we put a pause on the Foxtel subscription to relieve some financial pressure? Can we um, look for some casual work for menu log or for um, an, an air, a company that is still operating um, with casual work that can be shift based and you let them know when you're available sort of thing and thinking creatively in times like this. Um, that can be very challenging when you're in a tailspin and, and you're in that panic mode to be able to switch on the creativity as well. So the first thing that we need to do is get ourselves, you know, under control to a certain extent. 
recognizing what the situation is, the bits that suck and the bits that might work for us, and then looking at how we can break it down further into what we can now do to move forward in that space. Um, as Rebecca said, there's lots of things that can come from this that are really positive. Um, I've seen a lot of people reevaluating their values in work, a lot of people looking at, well, I don't want to go back to work because I love working from home and I love being able to help my kids with their homework. Well, that's not me, but there are <laughs> other people who like to do that. <laughs> but, um, but it's it's something that, that people are discovering that maybe they have an extra hour or two to themselves if they're not commuting every day to work. Um, and they suddenly are reading books or they're, um, you know, exercising more and they're finding greater value in their own personal time um, and recognising what from this experience do we want to retain? Um, what's important to us in our decisions moving forward? Um, and then looking at what our options are with regards to our, um, our career path and, and our options moving forward in terms of job search. It's an interesting time, I think, because I, I know it, it feels like you've been given a bit of permission to stop, no matter what your circumstances are, just stop, you know, and do something a bit different. Um, one of the things that I've done is I've found myself going for long walks and I never used to do that before and I'm suddenly as productive, surprise, surprise, and, um, yeah, one of the questions that I have been asked a few times, I'd love to put it to maybe you first, Zoe, and, and then you, Rebecca, is people in work are asking me whether this is a good time to look for a change of jobs because the assumption is that they have is first on, first off. What would be your take on that? I think it depends on the job and the company, to yeah. be honest. It depends on the culture of the environment. It depends on whether the job that you're going for is based on current demand that's going to drop off following this or whether mm. it's going to be something that will be sustaining ongoing. If you're going to leave a job that you've got hours in now that are sustainable for a job in, say, night fill or logistics um, areas that have specific or even healthcare areas that have specific demand now based on the unique needs of the period that we're mm. in, um, we're going to find that some of those jobs that have been created now, like Australia Post, for example, that have just released um, some job advertisements there, um, those jobs might disappear once the demand disappears. Um, mm. So if you're going to apply for a new job, look at the fine print of the contracts, look at um, what it is that you're being offered and what the terms are, um, whether or not they can let you go in three months, um, even if it is a permanent job under the um oh goodness i can't remember what it's called now you know the the probationary period there we go mm. god is it monday <laughs> <laughs> um, so you know looking at what your rights are as an employee and how that's going to work for you and whether or not um it is a good decision it, it's it'll be individually based but that mm. said i'm always an advocate for if you want to put your toe in the water put your toe in the water because the worst yeah. that's going to happen is you're going to get experience in job application development and interviews mm. you don't have to take the job at the end of it yeah Somebody might say yes. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Just yeah, with your eyes open. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Yeah. yeah. What do you, what do you it, it's a really interesting question because I think for a lot of people this extra time to stop and think has definitely woken them up to the fact that they're not happy where they are and that maybe they do want to do something different or move on. Um, as Zoe said, though, a lot of the jobs that we're seeing at the moment, and, and particularly I know she referenced Australia Post, we know that they're temporary. So a lot of the work that's currently available in the Australian labour market won't be sustainable going past, 
maybe three to six months, depending on what happens with the situation. That said, if you are looking for a role that suits your longer career goals, so if you've sat down, done some thinking and thought, you know, I really want to get more into media or I want to do whatever it is, if you see an opportunity that aligns with your longer term goals, then I'm what's the harm in throwing your hat in the ring? Mm. Um, but again, you need to make sure that you are covered from a, your needs base. Um, and, and what I mean by that is if you are currently getting work and you're in work at the moment and you have an income coming in, that actually makes you one of the privileged at the moment. Mm. But we need to make sure that people aren't making decisions that are going to hurt them long term. And whilst we don't have a, a crystal ball and we can't, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, and, and I'm aware of the pun of saying that in 2020, um, <laughs> but... You know, I really encourage people to think about what what are their needs, what are their, you know, like as Zoe said earlier, we need to make sure that basic needs met. And if we have work that's doing that, but we want to look for things that are more internally rewarding to us or more in line with what we want to do long term, then I, I always encourage that. Um, but to jump into a job that's just in demand at the moment, I think has risk mm. and, and it needs to be carefully assessed. I'm not saying don't do it. You know, if you're currently working and you want to look for a change, there's usually a myriad of reasons for that and then often not just work-based. So if it is to have more time at home because you love supervising your kids' homework, I'm definitely also not one of those, as Zoe said. <laughs> Mine's actually at school today. Um, but it's, it's really just about assessing what you want. And, you know, certainly where I come from with my career practice is very much about moving towards long-term goals that are going to make you content mm. so if you hate the work that you do and, and it's really making you miserable then no matter the situation I'd look at moving but I might give advice to say stay where you are until you've secured that next role mm. you know so it's just about seeing the risks as much as yeah. you can but yeah. you know if you have an overwhelming desire to go and be a goat farmer I'm all for it Oh, sorry. As someone, a client said to me recently, so I was like, oh, okay, how do we make a that happen? Fan of fetish. I think that's what they meant. All right, we've started to receive <laughs> questions. Uh, so the, the question is, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, Rebecca, as you kicked off the discussion around the changing career, if, you know, there are people who are reflecting on, you know, should mm. I change my career? Am I unhappy in whatever whatever that I used to do? I think one of one of the one of the things that is uh, you know quite frequently mentioned is the transferable skills. But I today I want to really find out what the, the question is around. First of all, where do you really assess your transferable skills? How are, are there any online tools available where people can go and assess what transferable skills are? And if you can also dismantle. Uh, the transferable skills concept a little bit more, uh, you know, and then where do people can find those transferable skills? You know, Rebecca, start with you and Zoe, uh, you know, also your views on where people can find those transferable skills and how they can really showcase that, you know, for the, for the role. So let's kick that off. Oh, you're asking all the good questions today, Nishant. <laughs> I love it. Not that you're not, Carolyn. And look, <laughs> <transferable> <laughs> skills, that's fine. 
<laughs> transferable skills are so important to the to today's market and you do need to be able to recognize what yours are interestingly when i'm teaching career development we focus on eight key skills which i then add a few things to so some of the key skills that we tend to focus on when we're teaching about careers are things like your communication problem solving, teamwork, ability to use technology, but also your self-management and your, your, your ability to sort of problem solve, things like that. Now, everyone that's had some kind of paid employment or even people who haven't had paid employment have transferable skills because we can develop them in volunteer work, in social clubs, football clubs, sporting, whatever it is that we do, School. we can develop them everywhere. So often I have people come to me and go, oh, I haven't really done anything, I don't have any skills. And it's never true. There are always skills that they have, always. And it's about drawing those out and being able to really identify those to an employer succinctly. So being able to put together a skills-based resume or even just a skills area on the resume that really clearly articulates what do I have that allows me to be successful in, in whatever it is you need me to do. Um, so I tend to focus on those key employability skills or transferable skills that are around communication and teamwork and problem solving. And the main reason I do that is the employers we work with tell us that's, that, that's what they want. Um, but in terms of being able to recognise them, I don't use any really fantastic assessment tools for that i wish that i did certainly using a strengths inventory might be useful i know that the job outlook website which is joboutlook.gov.au has now has a beta version of a skills match on there i have to say my experience with it has been a little bit limiting um, in that you put in your skills and it says well here are some other jobs that you might be able to do with those skills. At least it's a start. Um, and I do know that a lot of career practitioners actually will have um, an in-house developed, uh, you know, an assessment process that they go through with their clients. Mine tends to be talking. So during an interview with a client, I'll sit and go, tell me about what you're really good at. Let's really work out what did you use? What, what's the best things we can promote about you and how do you think that applies? So mine tends to be an interview process, which is not useful to your listeners today. Um, but hopefully, Zoe, will have other tools that can assess those transferable skills. No pressure. <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually use Job Outlook um, not to give them the answer, but to provide them with a tool um, because mm. it allows them to then use it over and over and over again as their time goes goes on. They don't have to keep coming back to me. Um, perhaps it's not the best part of my my accountant would certainly say it's not the best part of my business plan to create self efficacy in my clients, but it's the most <laughs> beneficial to my clients. So that's what we do. Um, I find that Job Outlook is a great way of being able to start thinking about the process. As soon as you put in your, your job title into the little bar thing on the website um, and it lists all the skills that you would they would assume that you have because you'd need to do in that job, um, people's eyes bug out. They don't, oh, I didn't think I did that. I don't think I did that. So you ask them questions, well, do you do this? Is this a part of your job? Well, then, yeah, you've got that skill. 
Um, I'm much the same in, with Rebecca, unfortunately, in that I also, as you can probably tell, I'm a bit of a chatter. And so the chatting folk, you know, process and the interview process with, with clients is certainly the most beneficial to me to help clients unpack what those skills might be. But that said, transferable skills from my perspective is largely related to the job you're wanting to get. So if you look at the job you're going for and you look at the PD that goes with that, which is the position description or the job advertisement that highlights what the needs are in that job, and you see what all the little skills are that they have listed in their little bullet points on the ad or in the PD, um, and then you think, oh, goodness, I can't do any of that. But as soon as you unpack what it is that you're doing, you can often see connections. And as long as you can connect the dots between what you've got and what they want, that's where your transferable skill is. So, for example, a teacher who wants to get into, or say an English teacher who wants to get into local government, for example, and they might think, well, what has teaching high school kids got to do with helping counsel? But they have experience in community engagement because they're working with school communities and the parents and, and friends associations of the school. You know, they're problem solving, they're, um, you know, planning. They've got planning experience, which involves strategic planning. You can connect strategic planning in with that. Um, look at what the broader goals are of the curriculum or of the school and how what you're doing is going to connect to that. Um, and you start building connections. So. The first process I will do is write down all the skills you can think of that you've done or at the very least the tasks that you've done. Write down mm. the key skills that are highlighted in the PD and then do your little, you know, the, the match thing that you used to do in, you know, all those kids play things that we used to do in those books, you know. You draw lines between them and say, okay, well, that can correspond to that and that can correspond to that and connect them up and see how you can draw a map from one to the other. There's likely going to be skill gaps. But at the end of the day, this is about marketing yourself that involves understanding what your unique skills perspective is so you might not have everything that they have in their list but you might bring something else that they don't realize they need until they talk to you so it might be about your communication style it might be about how you can engage with anybody it might be about how you're multilingual it might be about um, your ability to solve problems in a really creative way or to um, use resources really effectively so you're not blowing out budgets whatever your unique skill set is that's, that's unique to you that's what you push here as long as you can connect it to the needs and the goals of the job so for me when we're talking about transferable skills it's really about understanding what it is you're wanting to do and how we can draw the you know join the dots between what you've done to where you want to be just want to add something into that mix as well is that understanding what you're transferable and just building on what you said there Zoe it's like understanding your transferable skills is understanding how they apply to the next mm -hmm. job so it's a great networking opportunity you know around that informational interview to go and actually look at somebody who's doing something that you might want to do and asking them what does that really involve because once you understand what it is day to day you can draw those dots more more quickly exactly. there's a great exercise that i do with some of my clients when they want to change direction is to put their current job and their desired job and a few other parameters into linkedin and see who pops up and if somebody's gone on that that journey that's exactly the person that, that um, you need to be reaching out to and speaking to and um, unpacking that because i think people get caught up in what transferable actually means it's a term that yeah. people don't understand but it's really can i do that bit of the job with what i've got um, yeah. and it is about understanding 
um, you know, what that job is basically. So LinkedIn's a great tool, guys, and you probably realise that if you're watching now. So, yeah. Well, transferability of skill is also about potential for growth. So mm. it's not just about can you do this now, it's can you do this with a little bit of guidance based on the skills yeah. that you've already got. So you might not be able to do it today, but you might be able to do it next week with a little bit of guidance or a little bit of thought into how that might apply in a different area as well. Mm. So transferability can mean different things to different people um, mm. in the way that we're in the way that we're perceiving it. Um, so it's about, I guess, identifying what that means and how you can connect the dots in a way that's going to convince the hirer that, that you're a good fit. Yeah. A really interesting way of having your skills identified as well is asking people that you've worked with to identify your skills mm -hmm. and say, hey, what do you think my top three skills are? Mm -hmm. Or may mm -hmm. I ask you what you think I'm really good at? Uh, and most people are usually very happy to, to let you know what they think your strengths are, people who've worked with you. And it's really interesting when I'm working with a client who goes through that exercise and does that, when what the people they work with, whether it's in a current role or previous, often what they think and what the client thinks is their strongest skill can be quite different. Mm. So that then leads to a lot of reflection and, and yeah. discussion. So that's also an interesting way of helping to have those skills identified. That's an important is ask the people around you. Yeah, and that's an important conversation to have with your phone referees as well. Mm. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, can I just recommend something? Don't ask your partner because you'll end up uh, you know, getting... <laughs> So just to, just to, no uh, conversation niche. I'm very careful to say the people you work with. <laughs> All right, so the next question is around... Um, you know, you know. I think career practitioners, career coaches, whatever that we call, we are also kind of responsible of of coining this term that stand out from the crowd, right? When we we say to everyone, you know, you got to stand out from the crowd, and you got to do this, and you got to differentiate yourself, and you know all those things, right? But you know, it just stays in the head. You know, it's like my client, you know, people say, yeah, but what do I really do? Like, really, hey, tell me what do I need to do? Okay. Right, so what are some of the things, you know, the question is like this, that how would uh, you like the job seekers to stand out in the crowd? Uh, you know, for example, if you are a recruiter, uh, you know, who shared a particular job on LinkedIn, do, you, do they just get in touch with them? Do they, you know, kind of, you know, do a strategic networking? But but primarily, the first thing is how do they stand out, whether that's an interview, LinkedIn. So what are your thoughts, Rebecca and then Zoe? Ooh. I really encourage people who are looking for work. I know we all say stand out from the crowd. I actually don't like that, that expression because if everyone's standing out from the crowd, you've got a million people standing out and no one really stands out. Um, but what I would like people that I work with or, or clients of my students ongoing is to have a very strongly developed set of unique selling points. What is it that makes them ideal for this role? And I think if you've spent the time really thinking about what it is you bring to an employer, then you can articulate that well. And that is gonna make you stand out from the crowd in the right way, but it's about having those uh, provable 
unique selling points. And I say provable, you could also say demonstrable, um, whether it's through your experience or through your learnings or your networking or, or however it is that you are demonstrating. But we are all so in individual, even within the one industry, people have different skill sets and different strengths and different experiences. So I think having a very well-developed set of unique selling points uh, some people will call that a really strong skills-based resume or a fantastic LinkedIn profile. And Carolyn, we need to talk because mine is not. Um, so it's it's really though about how do you communicate what it is you bring and do that in a way that is strengths-based and honest and allows for growth and allows the employer or the recruiter to really see that you're a great choice. I hope sense. that's answered it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Over to you, Zoe, if I'm you have sure. any other thoughts. Yeah, I'm not sure what else I can add to that. I'm not a huge fan of it either because whenever I hear um, we have to stand out from the crowd, I think of a whole heap of people, you know, as beacons. <laughs> and when you've got just a oh, big, bright light, you know, no yeah, one's yeah. standing out. If anything, someone who turns theirs off would stand out, you know. Um, mm. But I think that... Um, from going harking back to my recruitment days, the the applications that stood out to me were the ones that had professional um, based resumes in that they were clearly formatted. They had all the information on them that I was looking for. I didn't have to chase them to find out who their referees were. I didn't have to chase them to find out they had the qualifications that that they really had. Um, I had all the information that I needed in the application in order to move forward with it. Um, it was clearly laid out. It was um, easy to read. It was skimmable. Um, and it had the cover letter attached to it with an argument for candidacy as well. So for me, the first step of standing out is to actually make sure that you're meeting the needs of the application process. So you follow the instructions in the application process because that will get that you That alone will make you stand out. Absolutely. If you follow the instructions, that will make you stand I out. Tell you, yeah. I can't <laughs> even tell you how many resumes I've seen where they haven't got any... I just bleeped myself. They haven't, got any con <laughs> they haven't got any contact details on the resume. So we might think they're amazing, but we can't call them and say, hey, you're amazing. Can you come in for an interview? Because they haven't put their phone number or their email address on there. It's um, from a recruiting perspective, it's really frustrating. But um, I think if you follow those instructions, then you're halfway there. Um, the other part is like what Rebecca said. It's not about standing out. It's about standing strong in your own, you know, in your own shoes. It's about saying, this is who I am. This is what my strengths are. This is what I can do for you. And having that selling point, and I, that's another one of those horrible buzzwords. What I'm really looking for here is to, is for you to be able to have an argument person, like an elevator pitch of sorts, but specific to the role. So why you are a good fit for the job. If you've ever watched a show like West Wing, for example, they've always, they're always harking on about the question, why do you want to be president? And they always need to have an amazing answer for that. It's the same thing with job search. It's not just about why do you want to be president? It's why do you want to be president of the United States? So why do you want this job in this company? What do you bring that's going to make you an awesome fit um, or is going to make you an asset? It's going to make you bring value to the role um, that they just can't pass up. It's about providing an argument as to why they wouldn't want their competitors to have you. 
Yeah. And please don't stand out, even if you're in a creative industry, mm. Don't please don't stand out the way I did have an applicant once for me when they had a border of cute animated bunnies around their resume oh. because they stood out for <laughs> all the wrong reasons. Oh. That's However, an interesting thing. Well, if you want to stand out, would... that's fine. Yeah. Were they recruiting bunnies or...? No. <laughs> <laughs> but it was very cute. Yeah. I love it. That what what you say about follow the instructions because ninety five percent of people don't and yeah. and it isn't a flip remark to say that is it? It's, yeah. If you say if they ask for a cover letter that says address these three points, guess what you got to do? Three points. Answer the question. <laughs> so yeah, um, we, and we, also sorry. Sorry, Carolyn, go on. I was just going to say, um, like you said, Zoe, that applications that have that you've shown that you've thought about the job. You haven't just copied a list of adjectives mm. or skills off the internet, but you've shown about that you've thought about the job. They're the ones that really do um, hit you in the eyes, you know, worthy of, of bringing in for interviews. So, yeah, you don't have to be amazing. You have to be yourself, really, don't you? You have to yes. show that, that that has to come through quite clearly on, on your profile or your resume or your cover letter. Hello, Pussycatch. <laughs> I was just thinking if I ignore her, she might go away. No, you can't. She's always working from home. Oh, how cute. I love cats. So. That's lucky. Yeah. Cat Wrangler is not listed on my LinkedIn profile. Oh, Nate, do we have burning All questions? Right, so we uh, no, no, we don't have any more questions. But if I, you know, I think Rebecca, in our discussion, uh, you know, when we were testing the LinkedIn Live, you, you know, you mentioned about the that you do a program called Beat the Bots, which is around. I, I, I really game. like that game. <laughs> uh, you know, which is so. Can you can you tell us? You know, because you know, you do have, you know, you know, great amount of experience around around uh, you know artificial intelligence whether that's ats or whether that's mm -hmm. you know interviews where you know where you are delivering the the interview and no one is really kind of assessing you except the artificial system in the background yeah. so tell us tell us a bit, bit about the 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 video interviews and also the ats in your experience and if you've got questions then we will come back to that but i really want to pick up you know some of your ideas on that sure Sure. It's, it's really interesting. It's a webinar that I've run for the National Employment Services Association, which is NESA for Job Active. And it's also one I've done for Career Development Association of Australia. And I do it with all of our students who are studying career development and employment services. And I'm always surprised by how many people are not aware of applicant tracking systems. It, it still stuns me that people are not aware of that. And often when I work at an expo, you know, I, I do the career expos here in WA every year and I sit on a booth and volunteer my time to help people. And it's really disheartening when you meet fantastic graduates. You know, I've met wonderful engineering graduates, law graduates, people that are very, very smart. They have so much to offer. And they sit down and they say, I've applied for 100 jobs in the last three weeks. I've never had an interview. And my first response is always, let me see your paperwork. Whether it's, I say paperwork, but I mean, obviously, digitally, because it's always their application just isn't formatted 
in a way that is friendly to applicant tracking systems. So when I talk about beating the bots, it's really about how do we get around those applicant tracking systems. And I know that everyone on LinkedIn is probably very aware that LinkedIn is just a, a really large, fantastic recruitment database. We're all part of an applicant tracking system right now. Uh, but a lot of people don't are not actively aware of how they work. So it's it's about really understanding formatting. And I know Zoe and I had a conversation very recently about, you know, my <laughs> advice on a resume would be don't have graphics, don't have tables because the applicant tracking systems, I've just, you know, I have seen, and this is a, a real genuine, not exaggerated example, I have seen somebody put in an application and when the recruiter printed it out on the other side after it had been through the applicant tracking system, it came out as 128 pages of wingdings with one word of wingdings per page. Oh, gee. And that is just because I think they had purchased a fancy font. You know how we can buy all these beautiful fonts these days? And obviously the recruiter was using an older applicant tracking system that it just wasn't compatible. So the recruiter went, you know, looking on the database, this person has what I think I want. I'm going to actually print out the resume. Now, a lot of recruiters don't do that. A lot of recruiters will just go by the database. But when it comes out as 120, I mean, I think it was hilarious because I wasn't the recruiter. So I wasn't the frustrated person having to deal with that situation. But for the job seeker, not understanding how applicant tracking systems work it just means that you are making the job search a lot harder than it has to be. Now, there's a lot of criticism of applicant tracking systems, and Carolyn, you, you may know a bit about this as well. Um, there's a lot of criticism that using applicant tracking systems don't always get you the best candidate because, of course, the people who were shortlisted are just the people that did well on the keyword search or the semantic search or exactly met the requirements and we would all know that in real world with people the very best candidate might not be the person with five years experience it might be the person with four years experience and an incredible attitude but the applicant tracking system may only be looking for that person with the exact five years because that's how it's been programmed to look for so there are criticisms of of the applicant tracking system process um, but I see one of the things that I'm here to do is, is to let people know about how they work. Um, and as I said, Zoe and I had discussed it. She said, they don't always have to be boring. And I'm like, well, they do in my world if they're going to be an online application. So resumes in my world are very boring and very ugly because they don't have graphics and they don't have colour and they are very text-based. Um, but as Zoe and I did agree, if you're submitting your resume directly to a human, and you know it isn't going to go through an ATS. You know that it's going to be read by the owner of that very small business who's on the corner. Then, of course, your formatting options are so much greater and you can make them pretty and interesting, um, but still professional. So in the webinar that I run with Beat the Bots, it's really just about informing people about the software. Um, I use a YouTube video from Civilizer um, or CVLizer. Um, which actually shows how the applicant tracking system drags everything out from the resume and puts it into a database. And I do that to try and save people time because I've seen so many people who are looking for work absolutely sweat 
um, blood and tears almost about formatting. And I'm like, hey, nine times out of 10, the recruiter's never going to see it anyway because it's looking at the database. Mm. So I'm, I'm just trying to educate people and, and not have them uh, lose so much emotional energy in their application. I'd rather they focus on the content, focus on developing those unique selling points and that demonstrated skills um, and worry a little bit less about the formatting because it's mm. only being read by robots. And with video interviewing, I was working with a client just recently who has been made redundant, so he's applying for work with LD, you know, the large sort of mm. discount supermarket store. And he said, oh, I've, I've done the three interview questions to video. And I said, oh, how did you find that experience? And he, he sort of wasn't very sure about it because this is an older man who hadn't actually done that before. Uh, and I said, you know that that's actually, there's no one on the other side of that. that. That avatar you were seeing didn't represent a person that just had their camera turned off. It was actually an algorithm. Mm. And he was blown away by that because he had no idea. Like, and, and I guess that's the thing. People that don't work in careers and don't work in employment, don't work in recruitment, they have no idea that they're being interviewed by an algorithm. They, mm. It's just a, it's just knowledge and people don't know mm. what they don't know. So I see part of my role as just getting as many people to know about them as possible. Mm. It's that's fantastic insight. What was it? Was it CV Liza, did you say, the YouTube analyzer? Yeah. yeah. CV Liza has a really yeah. great YouTube link, um, like yeah. a YouTube video where they have really um slow motioned down what the algorithm what their what their system does so mm. you can see it sort of going through everything and picking out the information and then putting it into a database mm. um, and of course that's one of the more sophisticated ATS so that actually will do the semantic searches um, mm. if you know your recruit is using civilizer you can use tables and columns and graphics and infographic it but mm. so many systems can't. Mm. So, yeah. Nash and I were joking about how um, you know cover letters can be really frustrating. It was like we design a bot that creates a cover letter to talk to your bot that <laughs> recruits, and we don't need anybody else in between. So, <laughs> what's yeah. really interesting is cover letters are also being processed by the bots. Mm. So it's. You know, it's a really interesting and, and interestingly, even if you through networking email someone. So if you email a recruiter saying, hi, uh, Nashad told me to get in contact with you. I believe you have a vacancy. You know, so doing that cold contact or that warm contact or that networking that we all promote, those documents are still put through mm. that recruiter's applicant tracking system. Mm. So even though you've circumnavigated the, the process a little you still, it still gets processed by the database. So mm. it's very interesting. Mm, which is very interesting times. Zoe, anything you want to add to this? <laughs> I'm with you, Zoe. I'm a, I'm a visual person and, and I do like colours and tables, but in their place. So mm. where you know that you can... Um, you know, that, Sorry, I'm you know, on my phone. Doing this via my phone because my webcam on my computer doesn't work, and ah. I just got a phone call, so I apologise for that. <laughs> that's, that's fine. That's fine. You know, oh, you know, as, as, you, as, as you're talking me? about 
Yes, we can. Yes. Uh, as we are talking about the artificial intelligence, I think in next six months, we will probably get the bots to do the LinkedIn Live and the bots. Yeah. <laughs> so you guys can bring your bots and we'll bring ours. Can you hear me? <laughs> yeah, I, even come back. I much prefer people. I much prefer people. I, I do think I do think we lose something using applicant tracking systems. Um, but at the I same agree. time, they they save so much money and time. And I guess well, I was it just does. thinking while it you're does, talking, yeah. Rebecca. Um, you know, if people are doing their homework, like the, one of the reasons is the flood of applications, right? That yeah, organisation. But if people are really doing their homework and organisations are doing their homework in terms of what they're putting up there, mm -hmm. then we wouldn't have this situation. It's been, you know, where, you know, you've got the six of the world where it's so easy to apply, but you've, there's this yeah. big bottleneck that, that's been created. So, yeah, um, but that's that's utopia. So, uh, well, it's so true, Carolyn. If we were running things, it would probably look very different. Of course. <laughs> of course it would, of course it would. But, you know, I, I know a local Bunnings recently hired for a team leader and they used yeah. a job board, which yeah. meant they got 1,300 applications for a simple customer service role. Mm. Um, and when you're getting that level of applications, I can understand that you do need a system mm. that will process it efficiently because mm. to, to get humans to do that would be very costly. Mm. Absolutely. Mm. Welcome back, Zoe. Zoe's back with us. Thank you. I can't just, hear just in time to end it. Anybody else? <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. You Sorry. hear me enough. <laughs> All right, we've got we've got many many good comments, and that's what we want to hear. Uh, you know, people are uh, enjoying this discussion, so that that's really good. We just had somebody did search for that thing called civilizer and. It's YouTube search civilizer gets me that. So I think that somebody's already doing those this kind of work. So thank you, Rebecca. They've got a bot this. doing their work. <laughs> I love it. Okay, um, we don't have any any more questions from people, but anything, Zoe and Rebecca, that you want to leave the audience, anything other pro tip or hot tip that you are working with people right now that is is forwarding them we would love to hear start with zoe anything that you want to add to what we've discussed so far anything to do with the job search process anything to do with figuring out where you want to be next anything to do with where you are now and and determining what you like and don't like about your current situation all comes down to self-awareness and taking the time to reflect on where you're at where you want to be, what you like, what you don't like, what you're willing to sacrifice in order to get to where you want to be as well, um, and and building a plan. Sometimes writing things down, for me I know at least, writing things down makes it more tangible and more mm -hmm. doable. Um, so when everything seems like it's too big, um, when your position is being made redundant or you're not sure what you're going to be doing or you're facing joblessness right now in this pandemic, focus on what you can control. Put in the bubble what you can control and look at where that can take you. Um, I think it's probably the best advice that I can give you because the things that are outside of your control are things that you can worry about till the cows come home, it's not going to make any difference. So if you want to try and do something positive and to change where you're at in terms of your perhaps your mental place, looking at what you can control about your situation and how you can address your current stresses and challenges um, by assessing where you're at personally, 
and where you want to be and how you can join those dots is probably my best takeaway advice at the moment. Terrific. Great. All right. I might leave you guys with, yeah, look, I might just leave you with the six key principles of career development because I think that they can bring hope in a difficult time. And the first one, which Zoe referred to, was know yourself. Know, know what's going on for you. Know what you can control. Know your strengths and your interests. Um, the other one I think that people need to remember is that change is constant. Whether we're in an unprecedented pandemic or not, change is constant. So this too will pass and things will change. Whether you're in a good place or a bad place, it will all change again. And then to focus on that, that journey of, of where you're at. Uh, and then, of course, we've got the lifelong learning. And I would also encourage people to access their allies, which is that networking, tapping into professionals who can help you, tapping into LinkedIn live events like this one. You know, so really making sure that you do have the people around you to support you um, and then of course focusing you know on the dream what what is it you want to achieve and and really think about that so you know the six key principles are self-awareness change is constant lifelong learning access your allies focus on the journey and chase the dream and i think yeah. they're all positive things for, for today's situation or any situation fantastic that's an excellent way to to wrap this uh, really informative and insightful discussion. Uh, you know, thank you, Zoe and Rebecca. Rebecca, on a very short notice, you decided to say yes to LinkedIn Live. And Zoe, as always, you've been absolutely sporting because I mixed up my my day, but you've been you know, very kind enough to join. And uh, you know, thank you very much, uh, both of you, for joining us today. Thank you very welcome. Yeah, you're very welcome. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us, guys. Uh, it's been absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Caroline, if you want to tell people about tomorrow, because we've got a really exciting guest tomorrow, but a different yeah. take on career. So if you want to give people an idea what to expect tomorrow. Yeah. So tomorrow we've got a, a lady by the name of Laura Waters, and she's written a book called Bewildered. Um, and the reason I wanted to invite her on is her story is amazing. She trekked... Um, the full length of the North and the South Island in New Zealand, um, suffering anxiety and basically um, emerged a completely different person uh, with a completely different outlook on life and a completely different career. And I, I love this idea of, because um, I think, you know, in our space we think we're head-based, right? Hers was activity-based, so she really tested her courage to the limit a lot of the times. Um, got herself out in nature, um, you know, crossed thousands of rivers. It's a great story. So um, we're going to have a chat to her about why she did it, what she learnt about herself, what she learnt about other people, whether that uh, journey and what she learnt has been sustainable for her, um, just to give a, a completely different picture. So I'm really looking forward to having... Um, her on the show and if there's anybody else that you think has got a great story to present about change and transformation or just some great insights we'd love to hear from you as well I'll put the sign up link in the comments on the bottom of this so if you want to get notified every day sign up and uh, we'll do that and yeah, looking forward to seeing you all tomorrow and thanks again Rebecca and Zoe it's been lovely having having you on and um, please do come on again we'd love to have you Thank you.
Excellent. So before before I wrap this up, I've just uh, you know sent a flyer to all these to current LinkedIn Live with uh, what's happening this week. So we've got you know exciting stuff happening this week, and, and particularly also on Friday where we are going to really dig deeper on who's hiring right now, which companies are hiring, what does the market data currently say. So we are going to do some unpacking of the labor market data as well on Friday. Tomorrow, Laura Waters will be joining us, so don't miss, uh, you know, miss tomorrow's session. And as I always say, stay happy, stay healthy, and stay indoors, everyone. And we'll see you tomorrow. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the Your Career Down Under show. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you want to know more about how Your Career Down Under can help you, please reach out to us on www.yourcareerdownunder.com.au and if you have got a question about today's episode or if you want us to do a particular show on a particular topic, please reach out to us. We would love to do that. Until next time, be well.